right, guys. Y'all, make some noise for Jesus. Just because we're not in the theater doesn't mean we can't get hyped for what Jesus has done, will do, and is already doing. Oh, let's go. There we go. We're good. Everybody say, ayo. There we go. That's what's up. So when Pastor Olga read that verse, it almost tied into directly what I'm speaking about. Um, the opening verse is Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, and I'm going to be in the NLT. It reads, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Jesus, thank you for the presence that you've already blessed us with. Let your word come alive tonight. Touch somebody's heart. Set us on fire in a new way and continue to be with us when we leave this place today. In Jesus' name. And everyone who said amen has to preach with me. So the word knit, we think like, you know, knitting stuff, but it literally means to make unity happen. When you knit something together, you're creating unity by strong ties of love. Love is God. To have complete confidence in his mystery. Oh, what's up, Christian? Everybody say, hey, Christian. Probably because he, what color was the soap? That's how you know he washed his hands. Always got to ask him what color the soap was. Good job, Christian. To have complete confidence in God's mystery, which is Christ. Not that we will fully understand what he is doing, what he has done. Not that we'll ever be able to fully understand who he is. But the fact that he sent Christ to die for us. Before we ever believed in him, he believed in us. Died while we were still yet sinners. Formed us before the world was created. Had a plan for us before we were even in a womb. And what I'm talking about today is confidence and where ours is placed. Because when our confidence isn't in him, we're not going to be able to stand firm. And we have to examine ourselves and see where our confidence lies. And the Bible actually pointed quite directly and made me very uncomfortable and offended what happens when our confidence isn't placed in him. But before we get to, to that and we make everybody sad, I want to open up to, oh, that's the wrong one. Oh, whatever. Psalm 146, verse 3. Jade, is that going to be on the screen? Because I didn't have book. Whatever. It says that there, to not place your hope in people of power. Don't place your hope in people of power, for there's no hope for you there. And we, we put our confidence in things, mainly people, but... So specifically world leaders, politics, and people's opinions, we put confidence in the labels people give us. You're a junkie. You'll never amount to anything. You're unsuccessful. You're not loved. I wish you were never born. Everybody's had something hurtful spoken to them. And we hear that, and we see the person who says it to us. So we, we believe that more than what God has already said about us. We believe the things that a person says more than the one who made us says. And then in politics, because you see, the, it's funny, the enemy likes to have everything God has, but it's 
absolutely contradicting what he has. He wants to see, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So if he can get us to split because of political parties or age gaps or what we look like, well then we can't be we can't be as effective as we can. Religious denominations and just denominationalism itself. That's like a $20 word. Oh my gosh. That word has 17 letters. Denominationalism. Because we think to ourselves like, okay, well, um, I'm Catholic. I'm good because, you know, I, I got baptized as a baby and I'm saved forever. Okay. Show me. I'm, I'm Baptist. Um, I'm good because X, Y, Z. And okay, show me. I'm Pentecostal. The Holy Spirit has to fall out all the time, forever and ever and ever. And if you don't have it, you're not saved. Show me. What religion was around when Jesus was walking here as a branch of Christianity? Do we, do we think that when we face him, we'll, we're just going to stand before him and he's going to be like, oh, okay, you were this denomination? Come on, your name's on the list. He's going to say, what did you do? Did you have faith in me? Were you standing on my word or were you standing on false doctrine that directly contradicts me and is oppressive? And this makes me angry because where we live, religion dominates the world so people don't experience life change. And I can't stand that. I had to learn it all my life so I'm able to talk to people about it all the time and say, no, this isn't the case. This is why you need to read this. This is his love letter to you. I say that time and time again because it's the truth. He loves you so much, he wrote 66 books. Not 72, not 81, not 84. There's people who have 84 books in their Bible. I don't even have the grip strength to hold that. That's beyond me. Yes, Chris, let the cackle out. Let the, let the, water, let the living waters of your belly flow. I remember me and Tony were talking, and I said that, and she was like, okay, what about this book? And we were just bouncing back and forth because it's the truth. Because he is love, which means his word is a love letter, because it is him, himself, written on paper. And if you can get, if you can get your opinions aside and put your confidence in who he is and put your religious tradition aside and put confidence in who he is, watch the life change happen. I guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you, I don't know what it would look like for you. For me, I went up to the altar and I said, I don't want anything but him. If he's not going there, I'm not going. If he's not of it, I'm not going to involve myself in it. And he said, you know what? I can meet you where you're at. You're letting me reach in, so let me pull 16 years of weight, and depression and anxiety and addiction off of you, and you can put me on like new clothes, and I'll put my spirit in you, and you'll begin to teach people who came from similar situations as you and say it doesn't have to be like that. And when we, when we put confidence in other things, here we go. We're going to go to the happiest book in the Bible, Isaiah. Super happy, fun time, everything. Chapter 30, verses 15 to 17. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. 
but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But the only swiftness you are going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One will chase a thousand of you, five will make all of you flee. You will be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill or a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. I know, right? That's awesome. It makes me so joyful when I read the Bible. But let's go back to this. It's a love letter. He's, go, he's going to discipline you because you are his child and he loves you. But let's, let's dissect this for a second. Let's dig into the context here. So when they say we'll lean on Egypt, that's essentially the same thing as leaning on the world, anything that is not godly. These people were children of God, but they stepped out of it for a moment. Isn't it a coincidence that whenever we lean on the drugs or the alcohol or the sex or the porn or the things that contradict that book that our life fall apart and nothing changes? Is it a coincidence that when we lean on another person who is just as flawed as we are, no matter how they may make themselves look, the gospel says that people are too worried cleaning the outside of the bowl, but when you clean the inside of the bowl, it outpours onto the outside. You got to get your heart posture fixed before you can do anything else. So they're, they're leaning on the world and they say, they will give us what we need. They'll give us what we need to be sustained. No, they won't. And when you do that, all of a sudden, everything starts falling apart. And you will be left like a lonely flagpole. Flagpole, right? You have your pole and you have your flag. You know its identity because the flag is on it. You know where it comes from. You know what it represents. What if the flag is not there? What if you, what if you are that, that flag? And when you lean on that, your identity is stripped away. You step out of it. There is no resemblance People saw you as a light, but now you're walking into the darkness. And you're not speaking light anywhere, but the darkness consumes you because you become the people you surround yourself with. If you're hanging out with people who are about that life, you might want to reconsider. Just food for thought. Or a banner, a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. Isn't it funny that in the New Testament we're called to be a, a light? A city on a hilltop, it's almost like the Old and New Testament don't contradict each other because it's the same God speaking the same things, just to different people. A banner was used as an indicator of where to go when you're being invaded. When things hit the fan, you go to the banner. Well, if the banner is tattered, where do we go? Do we go here? Do we go there? Do we go under there, over there? It creates confusion. And then that creates division. So they put their, their confidence outside of who he is. And their identity goes away. The resemblance isn't there. And then they create confusion in themselves and amongst the people that they surround themselves with. You were a Christian, but why are you doing this then? They said that for a moment. Because Jesus gave us this thing called grace, which means when we mess up and we repent, we can step right back in. It does not matter what you did, as so much so he died for us while we were still being sinners. Before we were even born, he died for us. 
He knew everything we were going to do in his mind and said, I'm still going to pay the price for them. Let me paint a picture of this for you. When I was about nine years old, I was cursing Jesus' name because I didn't understand him because of what I was learning. So it made me angry because I thought the picture that was painted was him. It was not. It was phony. And it made me angry. And through that whole time, he said, I'm, I'm right here. Will you take my hand? If you take my hand, you won't have to live in this anymore. The things won't go away, but I'll show you how to live above them. It can still come back, but you know how to live above it. His mercies are new every morning. So I, I don't know why I'm hitting this so hard. This wasn't where I'm going, but it does not matter what you've done. It does not matter what you've said. It doesn't matter what you've thought. His love never dies. His love is for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. It's for the worst criminal that we think should die. It's for the most saved person in the world because God views all sin the same. No matter what we do, he still loves us just as much as the next person, whether we are stepping in rights walking with him or we're not. We're either a child of him or the child of the enemy. Doesn't sound too pretty, but John 1 verse 12 paints a really clear picture. I was talking to Pastor Monty and I said something about it, like someone being a child of God, and he's like, are they really? And I was like, uh-oh. And he preached that sermon. I don't even remember what it was called. But he, he, he pieced it together, and it, it painted, it, it just, it bumped me. It bumped me very much. <laughs> because just because we're born doesn't mean that we're choosing to be his child. We have to choose to put our confidence in him. What does that mean? Trust, reliance, obedience. <gasps> Full circle. Trust, reliance, and obedience. That's how we do it. That's how we walk this walk. And I guarantee you, if you have stepped out of that, or if you've never done it before, I guarantee you, all the people in here will walk life with you. No matter if you do or don't, they're going to want you to. They're not going to entertain the foolishness. But they did the same thing for me. And here's the thing, we're in a series about the kingdom. How can the kingdom come here if we aren't confident in his promise for us? If you were here Sunday morning when Pastor Monty was speaking, how can, how can that happen if we aren't confident in him? How do we do this? Watch, this is the best three steps ever from the non-denominational churches ever. You ready? Are you ready? Worship, prayer, and reading his Bible. Reading his word. Worship. I'm putting myself below you. You are better than me. You are God. I am not. I can't do this by myself. Even science says humans weren't made to be by themselves. Everything that's ever happened in human history was because people were brought together to do something, good or bad. No person can do things like that on their own because you're not supposed to. You're supposed to be knit together by strong ties of love. And a complete confidence in his plan and who he is and what he's done for you. And this is where I want to close it out in Genesis chapter 21. Meanwhile, I'm flipping through the Bible because I forgot my bookmarks. There it is. Verses 17 to 21. Yep. But God heard the boy crying. In the Old Testament, there was no separate word 
for listening and obeying. So if you hear something, if you listen to it, and if you obey it, it's the same thing. The second he heard the crying, he stepped into action. The second he saw the suffering, he stepped into action. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make him a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman in the land of Egypt. So he saw the boy crying. He listened, which means he listened and stepped into action. So how does that not apply to you? He saw you in your room crying. He saw you don't, bawling your hands in rage at life. And he wants to step into action. He wants to comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you put it in and you don't mourn, he can't give you the comfort because in that way you're rebelling against him giving it to you. You're putting your hand out. You're pushing him away. He was in the wilderness. He was in the foreign land. He was, in, he was surrounded by the things he was unfamiliar with. But isn't it funny that he became exactly what he needed to become to sustain himself in the wilderness? Isn't it interesting that in the wilderness he became an archer? So he was able to provide for himself because God was with him and his mother. And when the comforting happened, her eyes were opened and saw the water. What is the water? It's the living water. Her eyes were open and she said, we, we can be sustained now. And God says, as he walks through his life, he will grow in wisdom and stature and he will be able to sustain himself because I am who I am. So why can't he do the same for you? Again, I guarantee you, if you put your confidence in him, your life will never be the same. It won't be convenient. It may hurt a little bit. My whole senior year of high school, I didn't really have friends to talk to for six hours a day. But I had him. I felt lonely, but I was never alone. You may feel lonely, but you're never alone. He wants the kingdom to come in, alive in you and you and you. Because someone is depending on you to do what God has brought you to do. It's not an accident that you're here. Some of the people that were coming, I couldn't get my mind off of all week. And I was just praying and praying and praying because God's promises are never empty-handed. Even if we don't see it happen, he's working. He does his work in the darkness. When we're asleep, when we have to recharge, that's where his work is done. So then when you wake up, you get to say, God, what were you doing? Who were you working on? Who can I pray for? What were you doing while I wasn't able to do work anymore? What were you doing while I had to sustain myself with food and water? No matter what we've ever done, he believed in you. If you didn't believe in him, he believed in you. If you cursed his name, he believed in you. If you made fun of Christians, 
He believed in you. If you rejected the things that he was trying to bring you in or pull you in or what he was trying to say to you, he believed in you. And I can tell you this from personal experience. I can show you the word, but this is personal experience. And I don't regret a moment of it. Because now we're here and I can share my testimony with you. This wasn't at all where I was going, but someone needed to hear this. His promises are for you. His spirit is for you. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all else. Just seek the kingdom. Put your confidence in him. Nothing will sustain you. Trust me. I did it. And nothing worked. I was the same, if not worse. People may be saying, well, how do you, how do you put your confidence in him? Seek first the kingdom and all will be added. You don't have to be on key. Trust me, you don't have to be on key. But I'm going to make the time to say, Jesus, I'm going to seek your kingdom above all else. I don't care what happens. I may not have enough money. I may not have food in front of me, but I will seek you forever. Because what he's done for me, I can never repay. And I will never back down from sharing this with you because he loves you just as much as he loves anyone else. So I think it would be very appropriate if we stand up and we sing and we let out shouts of praise and we pray.